welcome to Backlog Books. In this podcast, I will be recapping and discussing what I've been reading lately. My name is Kara. Thank you for joining me, and please be prepared for spoilers. I'm feeling much better this week. Some of you may have noticed that my last episode, Witchmark, I sounded a little sick. That's because I was. Um, hopefully, I'm over it. Um, but you know, life is full of germs. Okay, let's get started. This time I'm talking about Brown Girl in the Ring by Nalo Hopkinson. Here is the summary. The rich and privileged have fled the city, barricaded it behind roadblocks, and left it to crumble. The inner city has had to rediscover old ways. Farming, barter, herb lore... But now the moneyed need a harvest of bodies, and so they prey upon the helpless of the streets. With nowhere to turn, a young woman must open herself to ancient truths, eternal powers, and the tragic mystery surrounding her mother and grandmother. She must bargain with gods and give birth to new legends. Brown Girl in the Ring was published in 1998, it won a Warner Aspect First Novel Contest, which is a contest of some kind put on by the publishing house Warner Aspect. I wasn't able to find much information about it, honestly, except that it was only held twice, once in 1997, leading to the publication of Brown Girl in the Ring, and then in 2001, when Karen Loachy won with her debut novel, War Child. I guess pu some publishing houses a contest for first-time authors to publish their books? I don't know. The internet was vague, and like Warner Aspect was bought out by Hatchet Books in 2006, so pff, who knows. But Brown Girl in the Ring also won a Locus Award. Our author, Nalo Hopkinson, was born in Jamaica and spent most of her life in Canada. She's currently a professor of creative writing in California. She has won numerous awards over her writing career, including a Damon Knight Memorial Grand Master Award from the Science Fiction and Fantasy Writers of America, which is a Lifetime Achievement Award. When Hopkinson is not writing or teaching, she also makes art, little sculptures, and jewelry. Uh, I'm going to include a link to her gallery on her website in the show notes, just because I think it's cool. Some content warnings for this book for descriptive gore, like including torture, mutilation, and then like possession by a spirit, just so you're prepared mentally. So this is Hopkinson's first book. As I mentioned, it was published because she won the Warner Aspect First Novel Contest. And Hopkinson has been in the to-be-read mental soup of my brain for a while. Is that a weird way to describe that? Probably. <laughs> you get the idea. I think I found her when I was looking for books written by people of color and published before 2000. And then I found out she had written a storyline in Neil Gaiman's Sandman universe, a run of graphic novels called The House of Whispers. I actually read those first because I really like the Sandman universe and I didn't actually know there were like other graphic novels written in that setting by other authors. Like, I had no idea. Um, but I really enjoyed those, and so I checked this book out of the library. 
Now, I don't know what it is about some books where they just don't work for me as an ebook. But some really do, because I read Witchmark as an ebook and I really enjoyed it. I read the Spirit Walker trilogy as ebooks and really enjoyed them. Like, I could list every book I read as an ebook, but that would be a little silly. The point is, I started Brown Girl in the Ring as an ebook and made it like three or four chapters in before I knew I needed a physical copy of it. Do I understand what the criteria for this is? Absolutely not. Just sometimes I'm looking at a page of text on a device and going, there's no way. I just cannot absorb this. Anyway, I got a physical copy from the library and really enjoyed it, so I am glad that I did not give up when the ebook disappointed me. And I think this story fits nicely in the urban fantasy genre. I was gonna say magical realism, but it feels more solid than magical realism. That's kind of a genre which I feel likes to lean into ambiguity and like mystery isn't quite the right word, but that's the closest one I've got. So moving on, our story begins in future Toronto, a city abandoned by and cut off from the larger world. Tijan, our main character, recently had a baby and lives with her grandmother in the city. In this vaguely post-society collapsed Toronto, her grandmother is the neighborhood doctor. Tijan is only staying with her grandmother. Reluctantly, she moved back in in order to have her baby. She was living with Tony, her baby's father, but though Tijan loves him, she knows that she can't rely on him. Tony is an addict and involved with the posse, which is the local mob that rules the remains of Toronto. Being around Tony would put her and the baby in danger. The only person Tijan can turn to, the only family she has left, is her crotchety grandmother, who disapproves of everything Tijan does. She's having a really good time at the beginning of the novel, is what I'm saying here. Far away in the rest of the world, a world physically only separated by a short distance, but realistically unreachable for most of the residents of Toronto, a politician needs a new heart. Rather than take a pig heart transplant, a procedure that has been very effective for years, the politician decides that she needs a human heart donor because it'll help her re-election campaign. The politician's team looks to abandoned, isolated Toronto and contacts the posse. They need a heart and they won't bother asking questions about where it came from. The politician will get her heart donor one way or the other. I mean, I feel like if you're contacting, like, the local mob for a heart donor, you're pretty sure it's not going to be, like, a willing heart donor. <laughs> okay. So Tijan, big early 20s mood, doesn't know what she's doing. She doesn't want to take over as the neighborhood doctor, which seems like her most likely option at the moment. She doesn't want anything to do with her grandmother's religion, doesn't want to know about the rituals performed or the spirits her grandmother interacts with. She's not really sure what she's going to do with this baby either. 
Mostly, what she wants is to be with Tony. But there's a part of her that's growing louder and louder, telling her that he's not good for her. He keeps promising to stop using drugs, to quit the posse, to take her somewhere safe in the world. But they are empty promises, and she has heard them too many times to really credit them. And on top of all this stuff with Tony, the baby, and her grandmother, Tijan begins to have visions of people dying. Specifically, she will be walking down the street and, like, see someone and will have a vision, like a fully immersive vision of that person dying a violent death. Tijan's mother also had visions, and they drove her insane and away from her family. Afraid of suffering the same fate, Tijan hides the visions from her grandmother. And then Tony asks for her help. He wants to get away from the posse to get out of Toronto and to start a new life out in the world. What he doesn't tell her is that the posse has told him he has to find a heart donor quickly or else. Tijan, torn between gladness that Tony's finally getting out and fear that he will leave and leave her behind, demands that her grandmother help him. And there's only one thing her grandmother can really do to help Tony escape from the posse. She can call on the spirits for their aid. And I'm not going to try to explain rituals or, like, the full belief system here. Hopkinson draws on Caribbean culture and beliefs, things which I could spend, you know, 30 minutes researching and try to explain to you. But I would rather trust that to Hopkinson and her own words than like some random page on the internet I find. So in a second, I'm just going to read a description that Hopkinson puts in the book where Tijan's grandmother explains what the spirits are to her. But first, I'll just say that I love reading books with different pantheons and magic and different religions and different ways of connecting to spirituality. I like the reminder that the world is full of infinite variety. So, from the book, a description of the spirits from Tijan's grandmother. They are the African powers, child. The spirits, the Loas, the Orishas, the oldest ancestors. You will hear people from Haiti and Cuba and Brazil and so call them different names. You will even hear some names I ain't tell you, but we all mean the same thing. Them is the ones who does carry we prayers to God Father, for he too busy to listen to every single one of we on earth talking at he all the time. Each of we have a special one who is we father or mother, and no matter what we call it, whether Shango or Santeria or Vudun or what, we all doing the same thing, serving the spirits. So Tijan's grandmother calls on her patron spirit to help get Tony out of the city. She calls on Osain, the healer. But it is not Osain who answers. Instead, another spirit comes when called, one who claims Tijan as a child. This is not what you want to hear when you're trying to help your maybe ex-boyfriend escape from the mob, especially when the spirit that is claiming you is claiming a connection, a familial connection to you, in essence, is like 
the god of death. Tijan has a very, hmm, not going to think about that right now reaction to being claimed by this particular spirit, which can occasionally be frustrating in characters like... I can't tell you how many times I wanted to strangle the Wheel of Time characters for pretending they didn't have cool wolf brother powers, for a completely random example. But especially for Tijan's case, I respect it. She's got a lot going on already. She wants absolutely nothing to do with the spirits her grandmother worships. She never asked to be claimed by one. And she has got, she's got plenty to deal with without adding, like, Chosen of the Death God to the list. However Tijan feels about it, the spirit, who is, you know, maybe the reason for all her creepy death visions, blesses her and Tony with invisibility. They go quickly, sneaking through the city, knowing that the blessing will only last until sunrise. Unfortunately, even the protection of this powerful spirit is not enough to get them out of Toronto and past the posse. The posse's boss, Rudy, the one helming the search for a human heart donor, in quotation marks, is beyond the reach even of the major spirits. He has bound a powerful spirit to serve him, and it will hunt down Tony and Tijan, unless Tijan can accept her own power instead of running away from it. So cool spirit stuff commences, horrible mutilation occurs, Tijan loses her family and finds them again, covers family secrets and her own power, comes to terms with the spirits, saves herself, and her baby is safe the whole time, just in case you were worried about it. Tijan's journey begins in limbo, with a new baby, separated from the man she wants, relying on her grandmother and chafing against that connection. But she's also unsure what to do or even what she wants to do. By the end, she's more sure of herself, knows more, and knows how much more there is to know. But she's also still becoming. It's not all resolved. She's just finally the one doing the deciding in her own life. And like I said at the beginning, I liked it, uh, especially once I got my hands on a physical copy. No shade at all to ebooks. I read them frequently, but sometimes my brain just really doesn't like them. I am planning to look into more Hopkinson books, given that I liked this and her Sandman stories. And Hopkinson mentions in her acknowledgments the play To Jean and His Brothers by Derek Walcott and specifically calls it out as an inspiration to her because it was one of the first works she read that included Caribbean culture. The play is a traditional narrative of three brothers setting out to achieve the same goal. The oldest and middle brothers fail, but the youngest succeeds. I will include a link to some information about that play in the show notes as well. If you want more media like this, I really recommend... David Mogo Godhunter by Suyi Davis Okomboa, which I talk about on this podcast, and Blackwater Sister by Zen Cho, which I don't talk about on this podcast, but I do have a review for that up on my website. If I had time and energy, I would make like the Venn diagram overlapping circles of these three books. I think they all go together really well. 
Join me next time to hear about Thistlefoot by Jenna Rose Nethercott. As always, you can contact me at backlogbookspod at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to support it, the best way to do that right now is to rate and review it, or just share it with a friend. You can find the pod on Facebook at Backlog Books Podcast, where I am behind on making posts about these episodes because it's difficult to take pictures of ebooks. And if you post something on Facebook without pictures, it gets lost in the algorithm. So, so it goes. Um, what else? Oh, you can also find it at backlogbooks.com. <laughs> Uh, The music is by Joseph McDade. You can hear more of his work at josephmcdade.com. Thank you for spending this time with me. I hope to talk to you again soon.